Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Good morning, welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today uh, we have Michal Cahoon with us today and myself, Pete Lawton. Good morning, Michal. Good morning, Pete. Good to have you. So, Fire in the Belly. Yes. Have you heard of it? Um, I've heard enough about it to know that uh, it's a very powerful experience. Mm, okay. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to be here to to uh, share what gives me fire in my belly. Sure. And talk a little bit about uh, my experiences around that. I'm currently uh, one of the founders of Transform People, Transforming People Academy. So yep. we provide um, accelerated learning and personal development training courses and coaching to, to individuals. And it's... It's a re- relatively new business in Northern Ireland. I've been doing personal development for about, working in personal development space for probably about 15 years now. Mm-hmm. But um, in Northern Ireland, we, there's a, I think there's a, there's a desperate need for uh, the ability to be able to help people to see through the blocks that are around us and to make a difference in people's lives. When, um, you, when you say blocks, what, what are you talking about? Well, when I when I moved to, I moved to Northern Ireland, um, my family moved here in about two thousand and ten, two thousand eleven. And your home place is uh, west of Ireland. West of Ireland, Galway. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we just moved back from London, and when I came back here, um, I got to know some people through um, some community uh, s- stuff, and a lot of people were asking me about um, you know things I'd like to do, like dreams or you know things I like to do differently what I found is a massive sort of resistance to changing the current patterns in in society as in I'm doing this now but if I if I change now then that won't happen anymore this won't happen anymore a lot of what I felt were what we call limiting beliefs it's like there seemed to be a lot of resistance about um, making changes right Um, When when you say people were coming to you I mean how did that come about um, I was teaching yoga. One okay. of the one of the eclectic things that I I suppose not so. Well, much how did now. yoga come about then? Let's go back a bit further. Well, um, let me bring you back to <laughs> two thousand five. Okay. Two thousand five. Um, I just finished training as an NLP trainer. There's another story. Okay. Um, Where was this? This is in the west of Ireland. West of Ireland. So okay. I was living in the west of Ireland, a place called Ballinrobe, and I was looking for offices to set up my coaching practice. Okay. Okay. And. Mujala, my wife, had said to me that her yoga teacher um, has a studio where she works with people one-on-one and maybe she could talk to her if she could use her, her space. Her name is Esther, Esther Moser. Uh, so I went down and I met Esther and we built rapport. We had a great conversation talking about everything from some sort of quantum realities to language and all sort of different mm. weird stuff. Great conversation. We spoke for, for ages. And at the end of the conversation, as I was leaving, I said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be back and we'll book the room as I need it. She said, you should drop into um, my yoga class sometime. And I suppose we had such great rapport, I felt kind of sorry for her. I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know the way it's sort of like, you say yes, but you have no intention of doing it. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was sort of my first sort of 
suggesting I should come to a yoga class. Now, I had no interest in yoga, never done yoga. In fact, I wasn't even interested in fitness, to be quite honest. You know, I was uh, definitely into the, um, the whole, you know, nice food, good food, nice wine, a couple of beers in the weekend, you know, good film on TV, happy out, right? Mm. Um, but my wife was annoying me. She said, you have, to, you have to come down, you have to come down. So eventually I said I'd come down to a yoga class. Now, I don't know if you know much about NLP, but NLP is very much about, you know, understanding that if one person can do it, anybody can do it. If you can understand the strategies and tactics of how somebody achieves success in their life, then, and you install those strategies within yourself, then you should be able to get similar success yourself. Okay, yeah. Now, having never done yoga before <laughs> and having this great conversation with this yoga teacher, uh, I didn't want to give the impression that I wasn't flexible or wasn't fit or wasn't able to touch my toes, which I probably wasn't. So I decided to, um, how would you say, lean on some of my uh, willpower and determination to get me through this yoga class. This okay. So I came into this yoga class and I did all of the, of the, the postures and moves to the best of my, my ability. Now, this wasn't a standard stretchy, stretchy yoga class. This was a particular class called Kundalini Yoga, which is all about energy. It's about energy of the atom and energy of the cell itself. And when you, what happens when you really put a lot of effort into this type of yoga, mm-hmm. it releases massive amounts of energy into your body. Okay. And it can, and it can be quite um, uh, transformational, I think is the word, right? <laughs> So you come in here. So I come in here. <laughs> no yoga in my life, right? And I've got basically a complexion of or sort of the look of determination that a Terminator would have. I'm going to do this class. I'm going to put 110% into it. And I did the class and it nearly killed me. <laughs> I was in bits by the end of it. And then the very last thing we do at the end of a, a Kalilini yoga class is you lie down and call Savasana, where you lie down and you do corpse code, you just pretend you're dead, basically, hands stretched out, which I was pretty dead. So there was no pretending there, right? And literally, the, my, my, I drifted off to a different plane of existence. The only way I can describe it, I, I, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Mm. And I think I connected with some sort of experience of ecstasy, is the only way I can describe <laughs> it. It's like this real hard effort, then like, I just give up. Yeah. And I just felt amazing. I just felt like... I came alive for the first time in years. There's just incredible oh, wow. a sense of real presence and a, f- a sense of just feeling energized and feeling alive and feeling really, really great. And I, we came back from this, you know, this 10, 15 minutes just lying down and relaxing, saying, what the hell was that? And how do I get more of it? So I ended up going to her class every week for the next six months or so. Wow. And then she says, we're launching a new teacher training, first time in Ireland down the burn, County Clare, would you like to join? She says, look, I've only started, I'm only three, four, five months into this stage. She says, no, you're ready, you're ready. You need to do this, you need to do this. So I signed up to become a Kundalini Yoga teacher after mm. six months of doing <laughs> Kundalini Yoga. As one of, it was the first time the teacher training was one in Ireland. There's two guys in the class, there's about 10 other uh, women in the class. So it's one of the first Kundalini Yoga teachers that was actually trained, well, not the first in Ireland, but one of the first trained in Ireland to mm. the teacher training in oh, Ireland. Wow. Back in this 2005, I think that was. At five six, so that was uh, that became a very interesting combination because I'd already learned NLP, which is very yeah. much about the mind, sure. and now I'd learned about this Kundalini yoga stuff, which is all about the body and energy. And when you bring the two together, you got quite a potent mix. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so that became body I and suppose, mind, just the spirit to go. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it was ready to rock at every moment. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying it wasn't easy, but it gave me a lot more 
I guess resources is the name. It gave me the capability to tap into resources anytime I needed to. In other words, wow. if I wasn't having a good day and I was just feeling lethargic or tired, I knew I had the capability within me of accessing that state through doing some Kundalini yoga warm-ups and some techniques that would release that energy and allow me to get back into that, that flow state. So I knew I could access that state if I needed to. So the only reason I wouldn't is because I've got an excuse. Right. right. Okay. I'm feeling tired or lazy or mm. I don't want to do it. So everything became the realization that I had a choice. I had a choice whether I want to feel good mm. by doing something, moving my body a certain way, or I could choose to be a victim and say, um, oh, I don't want it because somebody gave out to me and I feel bad. I knew that was rubbish because I had the choice to change how I felt. True. So the combination of Kundalini Yoga and NLP together was very powerful for me. Uh, in fact, um, I wanted to bring the two together at one stage. And I set up a, a, a business called um, Yoga Mind, which is about yoga and NLP together, um, mm. which later on became YMS Fitness, Yoga Mind System Fitness. Okay. So we used to teach that then in, uh, in Bangor of all places, that was later on. But that, that whole, what happened as a result of teaching YMS Fitness and teaching Yoga Mind and teaching Kundalini Yoga is that people would come to me saying, wow, this has really impacted me. Um, and now that I've got this energy, now they've got this sort of motivation and got this sort of inspiration to do something, um, I'm really struggling because I, I really feel stuck. I feel I don't really have options. I know I've got, I've got this state. I can, I can feel good, yeah. but how do I change? Sure. Um, and one of the people that came to me was saying, look, I, I really want, I, I know I can access these amazing states, but they don't, doesn't seem to be changing my bank account. Okay. I know I'm actually, I can, I can get into a flow state, but I don't know how to become visible. Okay. Um, uh, or I, I don't know how to set up a business, or I don't know how to, and all these I don't knows were coming up. Mm. Um, and the more I spoke to people about it, the more I realized that th the reasons people weren't doing what they wanted to do had very little to do with not having dreams, not having desires, not having kind of a vision, yeah. is this that people didn't have the, the capability of knowing where to start. Or they didn't have, they just didn't know how to get that first step. Okay. Um, and I don't think it's unique to Northern Ireland. I think it's just a global phenomenon that if you've been, if you're doing a certain thing your whole life and you're good at it, but you don't enjoy it, it's kind of hard to pull yourself away from that and change and do something else. True. You know? Um, so... And what, that's what I call obstacles. Mm. So going full circle, that's where the yeah. obstacle things come from. So I, I noticed that the people I was talking to, they had a lot of obstacles about things that are missing their lives. Um, for a lot of people, um, like I, I worked in corporate for a lot of my my career. So I, 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 I let me just backfill a little bit. Mm. Um, whereas Kundalini Yoga and NLP was very much part of my life, I was educated, uh, I grew up, uh, with a science background. So I was probably the, the opposite sort of right. type of person you'd expect to do person development or yoga. Sure. Because I was educated to be very good at maths, computers, engineering. I became a, a physicist in college. I got first class honors in physics and was considering going into a career um, as a lecturer. Um, so I lectured for two years in the university in Galway. So going from that into person development was a very unexpected route. It's not what you would have expected if you'd seen, seen my life history. I always did good in school, always got did, did well in, in, ed, in the education system. And it's almost like my path is planned out to get a good job, 
get a good pension, get a nice house, get married, have some kids and settle down. And that's me done. Mm. That was the expectation, I guess, for myself, for my family and people who knew me, that that's the way my life would live out. But what people didn't see was what was going on internally to me, sure. even though I was exhibiting all the, the aspects of success. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, if I go back to 2000 and I suppose 2000, I was lecturing the university. This is pre-NLP, pre-yoga. I was lecturing the university. I was teaching, you know, 16 hours a week, uh, doing loads of lab works, helping take, help, helping the students in the labs. And I was very busy. I was doing a lot of techn technical technician work as well, helping with, with running computer suites. So it looked like the career I was going to follow was a career of being a, a college lecturer um, and education and very logic and based stuff like this. But the reality is that um, even though it looked like the academic route was the route for me, mm. I wasn't enjoying it because I never really got it. I never really, how do you put this? If you consider a typical day, I had constant anxiety all the time. I had constant fear of being found out all the time, like imposter syndrome. Mm. I had constant concern that I would screw things up, that I was wrong, that I, I couldn't get the reason. I think some reasons, this is one of the reasons that it drove me to do so well in education because I never felt I was good enough. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not sure why that is, but probably had a lot to do with uh, when I was growing up, my, my parents and my grandparents had very high standards for us. So yeah. hence doing very well in school. It's not because I want to do very well, it's because I didn't have an option, mm, right? Mm. You sit down and learn your maths, you learn your spellings, you do your homework and you do the best you can. Were, you, what, were your parents educated? Yeah. Um, what was their background? Um, yeah, they're they well-read, well-educated. My mom was a nurse, so she, back when my mom got married, the, the choice was when you got married, you quit your job. Right. So times have changed a lot since then. Mm. Um, so she was next in line to become matron of the hospital before she left. So she was, she was, she'd done very well. Oh, well, very um, advanced. She was very well known, very well respected mm. in her industry as well. My dad was very well read, very well educated as well. Uh, and he was a big reader. I mean, our house is just full of books, just books everywhere. Mm. My dad used to join these book clubs. Right. Um, I don't think they're still around, presumably are, but you get these book clubs where they get the old traditional um, sort of fiction books. And then they, they change the covers, so the covers are like this uh, fake leather, like red leather or brown leather or blue leather. So you have these books all over a house are these beautiful books. Right, okay. With like Tom Clancy books or all these different sort of uh, fiction writers. So you'd have like hundreds of these books all over the house. But he was big into history as well and big into Irish culture, massive um, Irish, um, I was going to say fanatic, but it's probably not the right word. So he was big into the Irish culture and the Irish language. So hundreds, if not thousands, of Irish books all over the house, constant reader. Um, so that was very much part of our, our upbringing. But my, my mm. grandparents on my dad's side, my, grand, my grandmother was the principal of her national school. Well. She only taught me once. She covered for a teacher once. Mm -hmm. um, and my grandfather was one of the first guards in the, the Free State down south. So I think he was like... Guard number 1,012 or something like that. The, the, we actually have the codes. You've got the actual certs from when he retired about which number he was. But he's one of the early recruits in 1921 oh, wow. when the free state got, got set up. So he had very high standards about education and mm. excellence. And my grandmother as well. And that, I suppose that, that trickled down to our family. So it was always expected we would get top marks, right? Yeah. Which is really weird 
it sounds like, okay, that's great. But the fact is that if I didn't get top marks in the class, then I'd be polyps as well. How come somebody got better than you? Right. So even though we should have, I probably should have, I probably should have been more grateful for doing so well in education. I always felt I wasn't good enough because someone got better than me. So imagine right. living your life where you always get in the top six in the class, but always actually beating yourself up because you didn't get the best. Mm. That was kind of the way. So I always, I never felt I, I, I never felt I actually got uh, to appreciate how well I did in the education system. I was always kind of giving myself a hard time over it. Um, and as a result of that, I spent my whole life, my young adult life, living my life always feeling I wasn't good enough. Well, always feeling that I, I'd failed because Peter did better than me or Stephen did better than me or somebody did better than me. Uh, and I didn't realize that this wasn't normal. Mm. I, I thought that that's just the way everybody was. So even though externally I looked like I was doing very well, good academically, internally I, was, I had chronic social anxiety, constant fear, constant mm. guilt about everything I did because I, I wasn't good enough. Fear of what? Um, fear of being wrong. Okay. Fear of not getting things right. Um, and it's all like, it's not real, it's all imaginary. And that's... It's not real, but it was real. It was real to me, yeah. Yeah, it's real to you. Um, <clears throat> so coming across NLP changed all that. Mm. And, and that's why it had such a big impact on my life. Imagine living your life crippled by your emotional state, just feeling about 80-90% of the time all day long. And then learning about going on a course for like four days. And then coming away from that and actually feeling great like 90% of the time. You know, it was like massively transformational for me. Mm. Um, and it hadn't even begun yet. It was just like kind of like opening the idea that by changing how I saw the world that I could feel different. Um, so when I came across NLP and personal development, understood some of the tools for releasing negative emotions and fear and guilt and all these sort of different emotions, I actually felt alive for the first time. It's like... This is Pry Kundalini Yoga. So I came across NLP. It gave me the ability to feel good. Mm. And then I came across Kundalini Yoga, which gave me the ability to feel amazing. Right? All in the same year. Wow. Right? So this is 2005. 2005? Yeah. What age are you? I think 2002 I first came across NLP. Right, okay. And then I invested heavily in that over the next two or three years. In about 2004, I was an NLP trainer. In 2005, I came, I came across Kundalini Yoga and became a... A Kundalini Yoga instructor than that year. What age were you at this time? 2005? Uh, so the 23, 20, yeah. early 20s. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. Do you remember your first experience of NLP back in 2002? Was there a particular person or somebody that, are you seeing something or remember something? I remember a particular realization I had. It's quite funny. Mm. See, the way it works is you learn many small techniques mm. which all build on each other. Sure. Okay? And that kind of comes to uh, a, a point then later in the training where you do some deep work using uh, timeline therapy or, or some sort of deeper uh, release techniques where you get rid of the heavier stuff like negative, uh, like anger, sadness, fear, hurt, guilt. These mm. negative emotions have been kind of following you around. But what I realized when I came to the end of the train before we did some of this, this heavy stuff, as they say, yeah. is that all of the exercise I've been doing during the week were all related to my job and they're all related to my boss. And it's like every single exercise, 
it was like I was blaming my boss for me not getting the results I was getting. I was yeah. blaming my boss for me not having confidence. I was blaming my boss for not getting results. I was blaming this person mm. for me not getting the results I was getting. And I had this kind of wake up realization that actually it's got nothing to do with him. Like he's doing the best he can to try to motivate his students to do what they need to do. Sure. But I'm blaming him for me feeling the way I felt. And mm. that was, that was kind of a, a major wake up. Like actually I'm responsible for the way I feel. I can change that mm. if I understand that he's doing the best he can, I'm doing the best I can. If we've got crap strategies, maybe we just learn better strategies on how to, to experience what we're experiencing. So that was like a major sort of, um, I suppose, a chink of light that came in that got me to realize, actually, I am responsible for the results I get. I'm responsible for the choices I make. And I'm also responsible for whether I feel good or bad. Um, That's quite a realization. It was like, there was a particular line, actually, I remember. Uh, it was from a Tad James tape. So we've got these, you used to listen to tapes. Remember tapes? Audio mm. cassettes? Let's show my age. <laughs> but... Um, so there was one thing he said, he says, look, if you're going to feel bad, you might, look, you might as well schedule it. So why don't you schedule feeling bad between three and four o'clock in the morning when you sleep? Then you get over it and you just feel good the next day. And I thought it was silly, but actually really relevant. Mm. Because if you could just schedule feeling bad when nobody, you weren't going to bother anybody else, you wouldn't piss anybody off. And I said, okay, that means you need to consciously decide to feel bad at three o'clock in the morning. Mm. Which means you could also consciously decide to feel good at four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and that was... That was part of that sort of awakening or realization that we tend to not see how we get triggered by other things and other people. Sure. And when somebody triggers you, you blame that person. Yeah. But when someone triggers you, what you're really saying is there's something to learn here, but you're blaming them per that person for you being triggered. Therefore, it's their fault, which means you can't learn anything from that. Mm. Uh, so it was... So I, where, where were you in 2002? Were you still at home or did you move away or...? 2002, always living the life. I was, I was, I had a new apartment I was living in Galway. A new car, black car, Renault Megane with a red stripe on the side of it. Wow. Um, I was earning big money. I was making 20,000 euro a year mm -hmm. as a, a junior lecturer. And I'd, I'd just, it was just, do you remember the dot com, the whole dot com mm -hmm. thing? So I was, I was doing all that, loving life, everything was great. Um, but inside, it was rotting inside, right. right? And I decided that it was obviously my boss's fault that I was I was feeling this way. So I quit my job. Right. So I, I quit. And literally, I was a two-year contractor in the university at that time. If I'd stayed another six months, I would be made permanent. I would have been lecturing for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, in many ways, I'm glad I didn't because I wouldn't have got to experience all the things I experienced. And I set up a startup with a friend of mine, and we ended up um, working on websites, early day websites and all the e-commerce stuff. And I got hired as an e-commerce consultant for a company in the west of Ireland, a company called Infopoint Systems. And we got we got to fly to America to work with some of their partners, people like IBM and NCR and well. X Incorporation. So we used to do a lot of the shows in America. We used to fly over like once a month or so we'd go over to America. And so that whole period, the end of that whole dot-com period, it was very stressful for everybody because there's Nobody could move fast enough. The whole dot-com thing is all about how quickly you could move. Yeah. Um, so there's like stress everywhere. And of course, stress combined with chronic anxiety, combined with all this, like I'm a failure. Um, I was a bit of a holy mess, to be quite honest. So although I was working very hard, 
um, it was a very stressful time for me. And a friend of mine introduced me to NLP. He says, you need to learn about this stuff. And I said, well, what's NLP? And he says, uh, you just need to do it, right? <laughs> you couldn't explain it to me. Yeah. And I understand why now, because NLP yeah. is not just one thing. Sure. Um, at that point, I said, okay, I trust you. I, if you say, I mean, I knew from his experience that he was doing very well, and I could get even like a taste of what he was getting, then it would actually improve me. So I went over to London and I trained, um, I trained in NLP, and that's when I had this big wake-up call about actually it really is about the results you get are based on your thinking, not somebody else, and it's up to you to actually mm. to, to make that happen um, rather than actually blaming people for you not getting the opportunities, blaming people for not getting the... the I guess everybody's got opportunities, we just can't see them as this. It's, it's not just about, sometimes people say to me, it's not just common sense, like glass, glass half empty and glass half full. Well, it's common sense afterwards. Hmm. But at the time when people are going through drama, emotion, chaos in their lives, all you can see is the thing that causes the chaos. And of course, it's, it's never yourself. It's always something outside of you. you see, in your mind, you see it's her or him, it's his fault, or it's the economy, or it's Donald Trump, or it's somebody else is causing you to feel bad. And of course, the reality is that those feelings you have are just triggers of lessons you haven't learned yet. Because if it wasn't important to you, you wouldn't care, you wouldn't feel bad. Mm. You'd, just be, you'd just be neutral to it. So when you feel bad from an experience, there's always something there that you didn't get, or you're not understanding, or you're misinterpreting. Which means if you can find that within you, mm. then there's a, there's, there's a wake up, there's an epiphany, there's a light bulb moment waiting for you in that moment. And I guess that's what happened to me. I had a lot of these light bulb moments one after another um, as I started to discover more about myself and personal development and that whole journey into personal growth. Out of interest, do you remember what used to trigger you? Uh, wow, uh, boss was a big thing. Okay. Um, the language or the tone or the implied or I know now it's it's called a negative anchor. Okay. So a, ne a negative anchor is that somebody says to you in a certain tone of voice, right? And they're saying it because they want something done, mm. and then you say something inside your head says, "Oh, he doesn't like me." Mm. Then he says it again in the same tone of voice, and then you get that same feeling. So it comes to the point that the person just using that tone of voice will kick off that pattern. Oh, he doesn't like me. And you feel bad. Right. Okay. So. And this happened with several different bosses. It wasn't just one boss. Mm. Several different people, whenever they spoke a certain way or said my name a certain way, I would just feel really shit. I feel really like I get a knot in my stomach. Says, oh. Did you associate that back or was it just literally the person that was in front of you saying it? Um, I never made the connection. Mm. I just thought he was a bad person or he was mean. Mm. Right? And the reality is, if someone's in a leadership position, they do have to be firm to get things done. Sure. And I probably was quite, I mean, I, I think my learning style is different to most. So I think I learn differently to other people. And uh, when you're, if somebody wants you to do a job, they want you to go from A to B and get the job done. But that's not the way I learn. Mm -hmm. So I probably take a lot longer in the early days to get stuff done because of the expectation of just get the job done. Yeah. And that would result in pieces, people saying to me, just do it, or, uh, with a certain tone of voice. And of course, I would blame them for being mean to me. Mm. And all they're trying to do really is probably try to get the job done. So I probably, I think a lot of things that triggered me is people saying, come on, why isn't this done already? Yeah. And I would blame them for making me feel bad, which is, you know, in hindsight, it sounds rubbish. But that was my experience at the time. It sounds like your parents almost, you know, you got sixth, why did you not get first? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah it was the same thing again. It was same. a different version of the same trigger, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, it actually was. Yeah, it was a, s- a similar thing where I would I would take on the responsibility of how I felt based on people's expectations of me. Oh, wow, that's deep. Hold on, help me with that again. <laughs> you would take on the expectations of the feelings. So people have ex- expectations, right. and when I felt I let them down, I'd feel bad. Okay. Which is quite funny because they... Their intention was that I would feel good, that I would do well sure. and perform well and feel good. But the feel good bit was missing. The yeah. perform well was there. Yeah. The do good was there, mm. but the feel good wasn't. What did your report card say? Um, oh, you're a perfect student, you know, very quiet, uh, very shy, but worked hard, <laughs> you know. Okay. And I used to get, you know, good marks and stuff like that, except geography. I got 4% in geography once. I think I spelled my name right. <laughs> <laughs> Geography not your thing, clearly. Geography was not my thing. To this day, you know, if I don't have a GPS, I get lost. All right. So it's quite funny because Magellan, my wife, she's really good at geography. She loves geography and all, everything to do with outside and mm. navigation, all that sort of stuff. So she drives. I, she drives me. I, I mostly just let her drive. <laughs> but geography was not my thing. I don't know was the teacher, was the topic or what, but no. Science was my thing. Science, maths, logic. That was, mm. that was, that's what I grew up on. Loved it. Loved science. So go back then. So we're... You're really, so you're, you're doing your trips to America, you have your IBM, where are we going then? So that was 1990,000. Um, yeah, I learned a lot about technology, I guess, from working with that company, Infopoint Systems. I learned a huge amount. Stressful, but learned a lot. Mm. Um, I mean, we did a tour of New York at one stage. We did, it was, it was like crazy. We're, we're talking about going IPO. It's a small little West of Ireland company did software. We were never going to go IPO. <laughs> but we had this vision of going IPO. So the, the boss, the, the owner of the business was going around talking to these investors, Lehman Brothers, people like that, looking for investment into building the next big thing we're going to be building. We're, we're building kiosk, uh, touchscreen-based software, okay. which is quite funny. You know, 20 years later, touchscreen software is everywhere, mm. the iPhone. Mm. We're doing this on, on um, things like... Uh, Deli counters and uh, queues. I don't know if you remember. Sometimes you go to a deli counter, you get like a ticket. Yeah. So yeah. rather than a ticket, you just touch a screen. You could order your screen. And so we did things like we worked places like Argos and Fnac Paris. And we worked with IBM and places like Tickets Online and else, uh, Flowers Direct and all these different companies mm. who would put kiosks into stores where you could order stuff or you could book stuff or reserve stuff by using the touch screen. You just get some sort of a ticket or a uh, printout or something like that. Um, so we did an awful lot of work back then, uh, 1999. So we went over to America looking for funding, but also building out products. So one of the products we had, that our company built was uh, something called Express Film Check-In, which is going way back now. And, and the idea was, I mean, it's it wasn't it wasn't groundbreaking, but it probably was back then. I remember True. back in the day, if you had a camera and you have a 35mm film, mm. you take your photographs, then you pop the back open, mm-hmm. and you wind up the film, you take out this little spool, mm. and you pop it into an envelope, right? And you bring it to the pharmacy, and then a week later, you get your photographs back, mm-hmm. right? So we built a system where you'd literally go up to a kiosk, it wasn't rocket science, and you tell them uh, what type of film you had, 35mm film, how many reprints you wanted, and whether you want one or two reprints, and then you put in your name and address, and we print out a label that you stuck in the envelope, and you pop it into the box. So that's all it did. But we managed to build the software in such a way that looked very intuitive, 
that people could, um, like queues were a big problem in American stores. So I think Albert's in American stores, one of the biggest retailers in the US actually bought the software. Mm-hmm. They rolled it out to all their different uh, stores all over America. I think it was like a million pound deal just for that deal alone. Um, so the idea was if we could cut down queues, then obviously we can get more people through and it would save money. So sure. so that's what we did. And then we, so that was Express Film and then uh, they built uh, Express Flowers and Express This and Express, all these Express things for, for helping people to be more efficient and get rid of queues in, in, in retail stores. So so as a result of doing that, we, we toured around America, we did all the big Marconi Center uh, places, San Francisco and Atlanta and Grand Rapids and Atla- um, New York and all of the places. So we got, you know, a very young guy in the early 20s, mm-hmm. I got a chance to to see all these investors and meet with these technology companies and work with like uh, IBM and NCR and Exxon Corporation, all these big companies and get to see what was happening in the inside. So it was an incredible time of, I suppose, rapid learning, rapid growth. Um, mm. We got to, there was one particular time I was in America and there was some patent that NCR had just got and we were related to that patent. I, I don't know, we, we, did we contribute to it, but we, we used some of the technology. So we had a party. And if you're in New York back in the 1990s, where do you have a party? The Twin Towers. And so where do you have the party? The Twin Towers and the rest of the end of the universe. So we actually had a, a, a massive all night long party in the Twin Towers back in 1999. Oh, wow. So that's kind of a, something you can't do now. But that was, that was kind of cool. Yeah. So it was, so mad times. It was crazy times. Mm. Um, good times? There was good moments, yeah. yeah. Stressful. Very stressful. Um, but when I think about the, the life experiences you get from being involved in big, massive companies and corporations and seeing mm. the requirement for like, I learned so much about software and predictability and process and project management and, you know, having standards um, within organizations so you can get repeatable results. Mm. Uh, as, as the company was growing, NCR then helped to put... Um, accountability software in place and processes in place and project management systems in place. So we, we learned a lot about how to build good software back then from yeah. a very established company because we're only, we did, when we started off, it was just a couple of guys together. And mm-hmm. then as the company grew to, I think, nearly 50 people at its max, yeah. you need a lot of process to be able to create repeatable results and how to manage different teams and how those teams could work together. So I learned a lot very quickly about software. Mm-hmm. learned a lot very, lot very quickly about managing people. So I was I was responsible for bespoke software back then. So there's two teams: product development, which is this Express right. brand, and there's bespoke stuff where people like Argus would come to us, or um, what's the name of the crowd in Dublin? Um, one of the big retail stores in Dublin. It's not not Super Value, uh, Superquen. Yeah. So Superquen was one of our clients. So we built custom systems for them. We had like. You could uh, get recipes, you could find out about wines, you could mm. order flowers and order from a, from a kiosk. So the stuff we were doing back then, that was all bespoke stuff, that had custom-built stuff. So I was responsible for all the custom-built software. And then another guy, Trevor, was responsible for all the, um, all the product-based stuff. And then mm. another guy then who worked on banking stuff. So we, we're kind of the three main guys um, who were responsible for a lot of the work that actually had in the company so I learned a lot very quickly mm. so that combined with obviously lecturing in the college mean that 22-23 years of age I had a lot of experience around technology and had a lot of uh, I suppose a lot of potential yeah um, and then I came across NLP and I said you know what I don't think I want to do IT anymore so I literally left all that behind 
and decided to go full in into uh, personal development, which when you think back, made a lot of sense. Imagine you're living your life like I was, where there's lots of things happening, but you're stressed all the time. Mm. You're feeling bad all the time. You're just not feeling any joy in life, right? You're having mm. lots of fun, but you're feeling bad all the time. And then you have this experience where you actually can feel good and you can choose to feel good whenever you want. You probably want to share it with the world, right? Sure. You probably want to say, guys, they need to teach this stuff in the schools. People need to know this stuff, right? Mm. Um, so what was the letter to home like for that one? Shock. <laughs> You're doing what? <laughs> You're quitting. You're stopping IT. So yeah, I thought I was crazy. Probably was a little bit, but uh, in a good way. Mm. Um, now, the funny thing is, I knew a lot about software, but I didn't necessarily know a lot about running a business, mm. right? So I set up my first <clears throat> business as an NLP trainer mm-hmm. in the west of Ireland, and I started offering NLP trainings, the same trainings that I had experienced this massive change. And we started offering these trainings to people in the west of Ireland and loved it. It was great. For about 18 months till I got burnt out um, because... Being a very much, um, I made that transition to being totally responsible for everything that happened. Mm. And back then, what I do is I would do everything because mm-hmm. I was responsible for it. Of course, if you're trying to grow a business, you can't do it by yourself. Mm. Um, you need other people with you. So I was doing the website. I was doing all the design on that because I could. I was doing all the trainings. I was doing the coaching as well. I was doing all the marketing. I was doing all the sales calls. I was yeah. writing all the copy. I was doing the blogs. I was doing everything. And after about 18 months, I just burnt out and I just had to take a break for a couple of months. Mm. And um, uh, it broke my heart. It was like, I remember what happened. I, I did, I remember very specific, it was April. Uh, April, what year was that? 2000 2006, I think it was. Um, and what I'd done, I just delivered a seven-day training, a 14-day training, a four-day training, a nine-day training, and a two-day training, three-day training, all back-to-back. So I was basically in the training room for about two and a half months every, with like two, three days between each one. And then I finished and I came home and looked at my, my prospect list to see who's the next people coming through. And there was nobody in my prospect list. It was totally empty. Everybody that we'd been speaking to the previous 18 months had done all our trainings. Worse, I'd also spent all the money. <laughs> So we'd done all that. We'd spent the money before we delivered the trainings Mm. because just being asses about it. We aren't putting money aside. Uh, And I got to this point where I just basically hit a wall really hard where I realized that, but all this work in for 18 months and I, you know, we really felt we were changing people's lives, showing people how to do what I'd learned to, which is about understand how to take back responsibility for their actions they take. Mm. And all this amazing stuff was happening. And then I sat down and I had nothing to show for it. And I kind of cried <laughs> for about two months. And I kind of just gave up and said, this is too hard. And a friend of mine, actually the guy introduced me to NLP, Martin, uh, he came into me one day. And I've been watching flicking daytime television, didn't care, you know, probably wearing the same t-shirt and shorts for the last two days. And just like, Lovely. you know, I just don't, I just don't want to be here. I just don't want to do this anymore. And he says, you know, you've missed a really, really big trick in all this. And he says, what's that? And he says, you're really, really good at IT. Why don't you just apply what you know in NLP to IT and go out freelancing like I did? And he says, you think I could do that? Says, you're asking me if you think you could do that? You're the guy who talks about you know, possibility and belief. So we discussed, we used to go on these long walks 
And so we used to go on these long walks together. He talked to me about it, and I'd, I'd question him. Now, from an NLP perspective, it's not questioning. It's actually called modeling. So what I did is I asked him every single question I could think of yeah. that would give me the strategies, the tactics, and tools to be able to do what he did without having to spend 10 years learning it. So over the next couple of months, I asked him, like, you know, what he got, what time he got up in the morning, what he had for breakfast, what he was thinking about before he went on the job, how he conducted himself for interviews, how he prepared for interviews, what sort of questions he got asked. Yeah. Literally everything I could think of that would enable me to take it, to jump 10 years ahead of becoming a freelance contractor. And after a couple of months, I got really excited about it because I felt I was getting the model. I, I understood. Actually, it seemed quite, quite simple, right? Yeah. A big part of it was confidence and certainty. When you walk into an interview and you look confident and you look certain and every single question you say yes before you know the answer to it and then you figure out if you know the answer, that gives a great sense of certainty and confidence, right? Like they might say, so how would you actually, would you be able to do X, Y, and Z? Yes. So how would you do it? And then it's like, fuck, I haven't done <laughs> And then I work out what I think I would do to get me to that yes point, yeah. right? It's kind of saying yes to everything. Um, and so I was getting the point of, I felt like kind of, I had enough of the model to be able to certainly get through a good interview. Um, and because of, of learning about um, Kundalini Yoga, I knew I could get into a very powerful state, a very um, energized state and, you know, feel quite charismatic in front of people, you know, do some breathing exercise, get my energy up, feel really powerful. Uh, so we said, let's do it. So myself and Martin basically jumped in a van piled everything that I needed with me. We drove over to London and we got um, we got a flat in London. We started applying for jobs as freelance contractors in London, right? Uh, in finance. So the, the goal was make 100 grand within a year okay. uh, working in finance in the inner city, okay? So I'd never worked in finance before. Okay, I, I knew a little bit about finance from some of the guys who worked in InfoPoint, but I hadn't mm -hmm. actually worked in any of the finance. I, I, I was doing all the bespoke stuff for Superquin and Argus and kiosk stuff. So it was all hospitality and retail. So I'd never worked in finance. And I never really had done anything around what was ASP.net. Then I was just learning about uh, the ASP.net. I was more kind of hands-on, technical, as opposed to software development. Um, but I was very good at fixing problems. With mm. when stuff didn't work, I could fix it. And I, um, I knew that we had a burn rate. I had some money left over from, from the trainings that I'd done, but not a lot. So I, I knew we had to get this working by the end of the year. I think we, we came over to London in September and we started doing interviews. And I got, got an interview with Microsoft, working on their Xbox team. I was told I came a close second, just the other guy had more experience than me, because I had no experience, basically. So you're really good, but, you know. Yeah. So a little bit of faking to making it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but I knew if I could get in, then I'd figure it out. I'd mm. be able to... to to, to figure it out. And come up to Christmas, I got a contract working for Dunhill Cigarettes of all places. Mm -hmm. right? Not a finance company, not mm -hmm. exactly what I was looking for, but it got me six weeks of contract work at £220 a day, which carried me over Christmas and got me back into the new year. And then after I came back in the new year, I applied for a contract in London Stock Exchange and they absolutely loved me. And says, we want you in today. And I started there and uh, over 18 months, I spent 18 months in London Stock Exchange. When I finished, I'd, I'd, uh, I just got my salary raised to £440 a day, which is about just over £100 a year. And uh, yeah, it was all based on basically having balls, going out and just certainty and confidence and walking in and telling people that I could do it yeah. and then going in there and actually doing it. And it was hard. I mean, it was that was 2006 7 so that was the big crash. Yeah. 
Um, so it should have been the most stressful time of my life, but yeah. actually it wasn't because I saw this more as a game. Mm-hmm. I saw it more as a challenge about uh, understanding the minds of the people who were worked with me and then solving the problems. Because most of the problems weren't hard problems to fix. They're more problems of miscommunication. And okay. you, understanding NLP allowed me to understand mm-hmm. how people are miscommunicating, which really... My job had more to do communication than had to do technology, to be quite, quite honest. So, so, that was, uh, so that was London. Um, and then once I actually reached my goal of making 100 grand in a single year, and I said, no, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> right? So I quit. And I decided to immerse myself in Kundalini Yoga because I hadn't done a lot of Kundalini Yoga at that stage. I'd been practicing it, but I hadn't teaching it. So for the next three years, I taught Kundalini Yoga. Yeah and travel around Europe. I taught workshops in Sweden and France and Belgium, UK, Ireland. Didn't make any money teaching yoga, but uh, I, I did. I made some money, but I wasn't, mm. I mean, it certainly wasn't 440 pounds a day. Mm. You know, it was, it, was, um, it, was, it, was, it was paying for living expenses, really. But uh, I did that for a couple of years, and then I realized, mm, I don't think I want to spend my life doing yoga. I need a new challenge to come back to Northern Ireland. And I started working with, uh, teaching yoga still, doing a little bit of yoga, but working with uh, startups and people who actually wanted to uh, grow businesses in Northern Ireland. And then I got, uh, did some contract work with a couple of companies. And after a couple of years of doing that, I says, no, I want to bring the technology stuff with the person development stuff. And I decided to launch Transform People Academy in Northern Ireland to focus on teaching these skills, but bringing in more of the technology and more of this business side of it as well. Mm-hmm. So we start off just teaching pure coaching. And over the last couple of years, then we realized some people don't want to become coaches, but they want the tools and techniques of person development. Sure. And that became, uh, became to, it became to focus more on the entrepreneurship side of things than just so. So now we've got Transform People Canada, which focuses on just the coaching side of things, how to become a successful coach. On the other side of it is how to apply systems and technology and processes to person development and entrepreneurship. So it's kind of like, a, I suppose, a, the focus really is about how we help people become more successful where they want to work in person development or work in entrepreneurship. So mm. that's where I am today. Well, it's quite a journey. It is quite a journey. It is quite a journey. So I mean, I'm, I'm curious, there's a, there's a couple of things there. I mean, you, you, there's, a, there's a constant pattern of well, helping and translating, I suppose, are the, are the key words that come out, you know, the sort of... Exploring, I think. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, taking something, I mean, as you say, from the kiosk side, you know, you're yeah. taking something that's okay, not great, slow, not quite working, and you're finding a method to actually translate it to people to actually make it quicker, faster, better. Yeah. That makes sense. It seems to be a, a sort of... And, and the language is the same. It's like, how do I take what they're trying to say or whatever and, and translate it and... Yeah, it's, it I, I think one of the things that drives me, I'm always learning, I'm always trying to learn, mm. you know, what's the secret to make things work better? Sure. Um, maybe start with just problem solving. Uh, I think maybe part of it is also understanding, you know, what are the, what's the secrets to that makes this this world work? Mm. You know, uh, one of my favorite quotes is actually from, comes from... Um, a film called Deja Vu. I don't know if you know Denzel Washington. It's, it's not a great film, but there's a great quote on it. Okay. The trailer is actually better than the film, so you get to see the trailer. <laughs> save, save two hours of your life. Yeah. <laughs> Watch the trailer. Watch the trailer. <laughs> but there's a great line where Denzel Washington says, if you had a secret that could change the world but no one would believe you, what would you do? Mm. And, and I guess 
that really resonated with me because I felt my whole life I was looking for these secrets. Sure. Like getting into physics taught me a lot about the, the secrets of the physical world. Mm. Right? What's the rules that makes the physical world work? Like gravity and quantum physics and all this sort of stuff. And that was something I was massively interested in. And then applying to personal development. What's the secrets to personal development? About What's the secrets that makes personal development work for some people, not for others? Right. What's the difference that makes the difference? That was massive for me. Um, Kundalini Yoga, what's the secrets to energy? What's mm. the secrets to get into those flow states that allows people to be able to, to find energy even when they don't have energy? What's, what's the secrets to feeling good all the time versus feeling bad all the time? Because that was me, mm. right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that 90% of my time I feel amazing. 10% of my time is like, yeah, we all have stress. Maybe it's more at certain times of the year, but I don't tend to do things I don't like. Okay. Right? So when I don't like stuff, I give it to somebody else to do, or I just don't do it. Hmm. Um, and my, my life, I, I feel at this point in my life now, my life is very rich with the people that are in it, mm -hmm. uh, who I can help and impact, but also because I'm always looking to do more of the things that I love. In other words, I like getting into that flow state. I like being in that flow state where I'm taking what I know and I'm trying to share it with other people. Um, it's, I think it's the way I learned. Uh, it's, I think I learned differently to most. Uh, let me give you an example I'm talking about. Um, one of the guys I worked with, um, uh, Andrew Nielsen, he's, he's a freelance contractor. Um, and we did a contract together for uh, Deutsche Bank. And on the project, we talked about different learning styles. Um, and he talked about the way the, the way he gets something done, which is a very sort of linear, sort of fast approach to getting things done, it says, okay, I'm at A, I want to get to B. So I go to B and work out backwards, right? And they say, what's the next step, next step, next step, next step, I'm at B. Great. So it's a very fast track approach. So that approach is what's called a deductive learning process. What you do is you put a frame around what you want to learn and you fill in the frame and you fill in all the bits. Right. Right. Now, what I tend to do, and I've done this in Kundalini Yoga, I've done it in NLP, I've done it in lecturing, and I've done it in IT, uh, and I've done it in many different areas, is that I, I don't just try to get from A to B. What I do is I start somewhere, and I seed an idea, a problem. Okay? okay. And then what I do is I kind of, I look at what that, does that problem get me to understand at a, at a slightly bigger level? And how do I expand my understanding in each direction? Mm. So rather than just going towards B, I'm kind of going in all directions to develop depth in all directions around that particular subject area. Makes sense. And eventually what happens is the, the circles get wider until those circles envelop B. And now I can just go A to B very quickly. Right. But if somebody asks me how to get to C, I know how to do that as well. Because right. now I've got depth as well as uh, understanding. Because I've, I've got the whole area covered. Uh, so what I would see sometimes, somebody knows how to go from A to B, but then you actually say, okay, we've got a different problem now. They have to start all over again and figure it out. So it takes me longer to get started because I like to learn and like to immerse myself deeply. I call it deep dive learning. I like to deep dive into what I'm learning and immerse myself in it very, very quickly. And then when I come out the other side after a few days, few weeks, months, whatever it is, it's like I know that whole area and... I guess maybe it's coming from my past where I don't want to be called out. I want to really know everything in that area. Mm. Um, so when I get to go from A to B, then I can go there very quickly, but I also go to C, D, E, F, G as well very quickly because I don't have to go back and relearn stuff then. Mm. Mm. 
Um, so in NLP, we talked about two different styles of learning, deductive learning and inductive learning. So I think I naturally learn inductively. I start with a seed and then I grow out in all directions, which means there's no boundary to inductive learning. Once you get to B and C, it keeps developing in every direction. It goes beyond B and C. Yeah. So you start to make new connections, new ideas, and new kind of perspectives on what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, whereas deductively, once you fill in all the ga gaps, you kind of say, well, I've got that now, next. Um, so I think that's really influenced my, my desire for learning and my desire to, I guess, share what I know and, f and find these secrets. Again, if you had a secret that could change your life but no one would believe you, what would you do? Um, so for me, it's almost like I'm looking for these secrets, mm -hmm. whether it's secrets in physics, secrets of personal development, secrets to, to life, really. Sure. But I'm not learning just to learn. I think that's a trap we can fall into. I'm learning them so I can share them. I'm learning them so I can... I think I'm a born teacher. I like to teach. Uh, I mean, that's a pattern that yeah it sort of makes sense. It's teaching or translation or language or to be understood. Those yeah. are the key things that seem to to, to, to repeat through this. It's a uh, yeah. It seems to be something like just I've I've never planned to be a teacher. Even when I was lecturing in college, I never planned to be a teacher. It just kind of yeah. happened. But that's, I mean that sort of almost follows your mentality of how you think. You almost you drop into what that is, and then you basically soak in all the. Your, your rings, basically, you take yeah. on the knowledge and you become that thing or whatever it is, where it's teaching is go, go teach and kind of learn on the fly, basically. Yeah. Uh, one of the, my Kundalini Yoga, the guy who brought Kundalini Yoga to, to the Western world, this guy, uh, a teacher called Yogi Vajan, and he would say, and again, this resonated with me, it's probably why I remember it, he would say, if you want to know something, if you want to understand something, read it. If you want to know something, write about it. If you want to master something, teach it well so i guess uh, and this is something i've found as well because when i when i started teaching i kind of again i had to parachute in for forty thousand feet and say right off you go um when i started lecturing in the university i was given all these courses to teach I said right go teach them and, so, and i said well how just teach them right so i kind of had to learn how to teach that stuff um you know complicated mm. uh computer science subjects to people who were doing a, an MBA or doing a diploma system analysis. They weren't technical people necessarily. They just needed to get these computer mm. modules covered. So I kind of parachuted in and figured out how to teach this. And the one thing I remember is the importance of getting feedback when you're teaching. This is, a, this is one of the key things. This, this is key to, to, to teaching, I think, is that when you teach concept to somebody and you look out to your audience you get one of two reactions number one is like ah they understand it or mm. huh what the <laughs> hell is he talking about okay and what i found is as long as you're always getting the ah you know you're making progress they're mm. getting it they're getting it they're getting it but if you get the like the quizzical what the hell is he talking about mm. then what i do is i say well it's a little bit like this and i go into my my metaphor phase where i'm giving examples and stories and metaphors to explain that concept sure now if i do that two three times and they're still going i don't get it then i know i don't understand it myself right okay right so i get direct feedback from teaching whether i understand something because if they're going yeah i get it i get it i get it that means i got it but if i teach something they're going huh and i try to teach it differently and they're still going huh 
and they're not getting past that point. And I need, mm. I need to go back and I say, okay, there's something I'm not getting here. Because if I can't explain it, I don't understand it. And then I go back and I try to simplify my understanding so I can actually explain that again. And that's probably what I've been, that's probably one of the key things that I suppose I've been doing for the last 20 years is, is applying that principle to sharing what I know. Mm. Do, you, do you lean on intuition a lot or? Um, what is intuition? Um, I, I think, yeah. I think, yes, but I think I had to learn it. I had to refine it. Because I think intuition is very much by getting to flow states. Okay. So if, if you know how to... Flow state of what? Uh, about re removing those obstacles that stops you just getting stuff done. Let, let me give you an example. Um, if I get a new computer and I want to write a piece of software, mm -hmm. okay, um, there's a lot of yak shaving that needs to be done before I can write the software. <laughs> Sorry, yak shaving? Yes, right, okay. it's, uh, Scott Hanselman, it's a phrase he uses. <laughs> yak shaving is basically, it's all the things you have to do before you do the things you have to do. Okay. Like shave a yak. Shave a yak is a messy job because it's very hairy. So you have to shave the yak and now you can actually do My the mind is just going off on <laughs> yak shaving in the somewhere. So the, the yak shaving would be like uh, getting, the, getting the software on your mm. computer, getting the different tools you need, set up the environment, changing the colors so it's in the dark theme rather than the light theme. Very yeah. important. So all the things you need to do before you start. Sure, sure. And I think... Um, there's a great, there's a fantastic guy called um, Ill Gates, always, always, always reminds me of Bill Gates, right, right? Okay. without the B. So Ill Gates, and he talks about there's two types of activities we need to do. Yeah. One is daytime activities and the other is nighttime activities. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important because the daytime activities is what I call flow state. When you're in flow state, you, get, you just get stuff done. It's like bang, 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 just stuff happens. Mm. But the nighttime activities, it doesn't need to be nighttime, but the nighttime activities are all the things you need to do so you can get into that flow state. Okay. Is setting up things. So if you think of it, when you join a company, mm. what they do is they take care of all the nighttime activities. They get your desktop, all the software is pre-installed, you're introduced to the team, and next day you can start working on being productive. Okay. Right? So they take care of all the nighttime activities. As an entrepreneur or as a business owner, you have to do the nighttime activities and the daytime activities. You have to prep your environment to get into a flow state so you can get into the flow state. Wow. So you've got two different jobs you have to do as an entrepreneur. You need to prep to do the work mm. and then you need to do the work. And everything that's a distraction that takes you away from doing the work is stopping you also from prepping to do the work. So the Facebook, like for example, if you look at my phone, I don't have Facebook on my phone. Mm. Right, so Facebook is, there's about 16 apps that Facebook owns. There's Facebook, there's Facebook pages, Facebook ads, analytics, Instagram, uh, Boomerang, uh, uh, Layout. There's all these different tools. Sure. So I literally have removed all of them because if I'm actually working in flow state, the only thing I want beside me is WhatsApp, which is also yeah. a Facebook app. Mm. Right? So if I need to send a message or just check on something, I can send a message very quickly, get information back. Right. But I want no distractions on my phone. Mm. when I'm actually in a flow state. And now if I'm chilling out on holidays, I'll probably put Facebook on my phone and check out what's happening. But I, I tend to stay away from social media. I tend to stay away from distractions mm. when I'm in the flow state. So at the moment, we're creating a lot of content, a huge amount of content in Transform People Academy, a lot of training courses, videos. So I need to be in that flow state quite a lot. Um, to do that, I need to remove the distractions. So I might spend two, three days creating all the bits that I need in order to just get get stuff done, create content, record sure. content, record audio, record video, uh, do webinars, all that sort of stuff. So then I can just bang, bang, bang through it very, very quickly. Whereas if I'm not in that flow state, then I'm what I'm doing is I'm prepping for that flow state. 
So just knocking off things on my list to get ready to get into that flow state so I can... So like a training is a great example. If we're doing a four-day training, mm. I know that I've got like 37 modules to do in four days. It's a lot of content. I, it's not like I'm talking. I'm just trying to fill out four days. I'm trying to complete 37 modules. So I know that if the projector doesn't work or if I don't have a pen beside me to write down a note or if something's wrong with the technology or it just gets in the way, which means I lose half an hour, an hour, and then I, I, I drop a module. I can't afford to do that. Yeah. So I need to be in that flow state. So everything needs to be prepped so that I can get into that flow state so the students can get into the flow state and we just go through stuff very, very quickly. Mm. Um, and that's, cr that's crucial in this day and age because the world's changing. The world has become faster. And now we need to learn how to purposefully put ourselves in a flow state to be more productive, to be more effective, more efficient in what we're doing. And in this instance, would you connect it to Fire in the Belly at all? Uh, I think Fire in the Belly is exactly the same thing. If you talk mm. about people, I'm sure you notice yourself, when people get talking about their passion, they're in flow. Mm. So, so that is flow state for yeah. me. Mm. That is about getting rid of all the things that... Look, if, if all you did all day long is things you loved, that is Fire in the Belly, right? Mm. Whereas it's all the things that get in the way of doing the things you love, that's what creates resentment. That's what creates lack of happiness, lack mm. of satisfaction. So uh, I think Fire in the Belly literally is totally aligned with what I'm talking about because that's where people find how to perform at a higher level. If sure. all you did was things that gave you Fire in the Belly, that means you're working from your passion, which means there's no resistance, Yeah. right? There's, there's no resistance. Um, we're launching a podcast uh, next year called Disruptive Secrets to Success. Mm. And on that, um, it's going to be, I mean, you're definitely going to have to come on this, right? Because <laughs> part of Disruptive yeah. Secrets is about, okay, what makes people get there more quickly? Mm. And for, for a lot of people, especially large companies nowadays, large companies are moving very, very slowly. They can't adapt as quickly, yeah. right? Because they're like a big, massive tanker trying to change direction. They have to change mm. very, very slowly. And a lot of large tankers are going to run aground over the next couple of years because they can't change fast enough. Yeah. So the disruptive secrets or the disruptive rules or this disruptive approaches are what makes things work better in, the day, in, in this day and age. Because without that, what happens is you run aground. Mm. Right? You have to stay relevant. And the way to stay relevant is you have to do things you look. It's very simple. Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this. And what he says is, if you're doing a job for 100 hours a week and you love it, Mm. And somebody else is doing a job for 100 hours a week and they're getting paid lots of money, but they hate it. You win. Mm. Because it's not even about the money. The fact is you'll always outlive that person because you're doing something you love. Yeah. Um, and I think in this day and age, I personally believe there's no reason why anybody in this plan should be doing something they don't want to do. If you focus on creating the right scenarios, the nighttime activities, the, night, the right conditions... People should only be should be working towards only doing things that they love. Okay, that's very 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 poignant on this part. So how how would you say to someone to find out what what do you genuinely love? I mean, what's the fire in your belly? How how you know someone going what is fire in the belly? What's he talking about? What's going on here? You just got to find it. You got to look for it. You got to look for it. look look back in the past. What's the telltale? Though? The telltale is is time disappears. Okay. The telltale is you're happy. I remember, like, it's a weird thing, five, five, six years of age, a flashback now, mm. um, I was literally sitting in a sandpit with a shovel and spade and a little toy tractor, 
imagining I was excavating some sort of a hole, right? In the, and so I was digging there with the sand. I was, I was absolutely in a total flow state. There's nobody around me. I was just trying to figure out how to solve this problem of, of getting the, you know, filling this hole with this little five-year-old kid using mm. this tractor and the spade. Uh, and for me, it was just being in that flow state where um, I was loving what I was doing. Mm. If I look at that compared to a lot of things that I do nowadays, it's about solving problems in that state where there's nobody else around. I'm solving it in isolation. And then I bring it to people and say, look, mom, look what I did, right? Um, so for me, that was the tip off to me that solving a problem inside my own head because someone had presented, oh, look, there's something there to, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And solving that problem then presenting to somebody else gave me a real sense of what you call fire in the belly. Mm. It's what I loved. So I think people need to look at what are the things you've done in the past that brought you to the state of you know, timelessness. Right. There's nothing going on. It, you're empty. I call it the zero state. Okay. So the, the zero state is when there's no time, there's no space, there's nothing. And you, and you literally could spend as long as you need in that space because everything is just happening. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's so important to set up the conditions to be able to find that, that zero point, to find that flow state, to find that space where you're doing what you love. Like music for me is the same. Playing piano, playing guitar is that when Magella says it to me, when I sit down and pick up a guitar, my breathing changes instantly. Within 10 seconds, my breathing is totally changed because I'm going into that different world of sound and music and vibration. And even though I might not be playing a tune, I'm playing sounds that connect me with that experience. That's kind of a a flow state for me. Mm. And everybody has something. For some people, it's writing. For some people, it's speaking. For some people, it's using their hands to build something, to make something. But there's something that everybody has that when they do it, time stands still. Yeah. And that's the tip off of what you should be doing in life. Well, I'm curious, you know, when you get something like, say, for music, it, it is almost your your grounding, your earthing, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's the, the right term, but, you know, do you get people who say, I'm going to make my career out of that, you know, their passion or their fire in their belly or whatever it is. Right. And I suppose my question is slightly loaded that where people can almost be so passionate that they forget to charge and it becomes... Right, really good point. Mm. I, I, I think, again, I think I'm blessed that I've had lots of opportunities to do different things. Mm. That's got me, give me some great insight on that. I mean, one of the things that I love is Kundalini Yoga, mm-hmm. right? But I would never set up a Kundalini Yoga business as a career. Right. And I wouldn't do that because that wouldn't give me... While I would love the experience of teaching yoga... Mm. Um, I would need, I would never make a good income just teaching yoga classes for five, ten, fifteen pounds right. for a class. I'd need to be running massive classes, okay. or else teach it online or something like that to scale that to be able to make a decent living from it. So, and and I think this is this is a, a problem that people need to look at seriously when you talk about passion, mm. talking about you know fire in the belly, talking about flow states. Is that yes? I I didn't say find your passion, go do it. What I said is the tip-off, the clue is in the fire in the belly. The mm. clue is in that flow state. Right. Okay? okay. But we live in an economic world. Mm. Right? We need money to make this world work. Sure. Okay? So what you need to do is you need to be able to say, okay, this is what I love to do. Now you need to find out what do people want mm. that this is part of the solution, part of the solution. Mm. And you've, you've, you hear me talk about this all the time. The problem that we that I find is that when you when you find your passion, when you find something you love, 
then you say what I said back in the day, everybody needs to know this. Mm. Right? Yeah. Everybody needs to know Kundalini Yoga, everybody needs to know NLP, everybody needs to know technology, everybody needs to know how to use social media or whatever else. The fact is, just because people need to know it, it doesn't mean they want it. Sure. Right? And, and the challenge is recognizing how to turn your passion into a business that actually is viable. Mm. Right? That's a skill. Yeah. Um, and that's based on what are the skills that people are looking for. Um, now, the problem here is viable because here's the if you set up a business, okay, what's the key differentiator that determines that something is a business, right? The key differentiator that determines that something is a business is that you're making money, hmm. okay? If you're not making money, it's not a business, it's a pastime. Sure. Right? Now, there's lots and lots of people who have a pastime that they will spend, let's say someone goes into... A canoeing or mountaineering or cosplay or there's a million different things where people spend literally thousands of pounds every year investing in their pastime yeah right there's a lot of people especially in the person development pace who think they've got a business and what they have is a pastime right. because they're literally spending thousands of pounds every year and thinking they've got a business and what they actually have is a pastime sure okay the number one criteria having a business is that you're making a profit you're making money Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in order to do that, you need to give people what they want first mm -hmm. and then give them what they need. And this is a huge distinction that a lot of people seem to miss. Mm -hmm. What people want is skills. Um, like I could play music. I pick up my guitar and play the most lovely songs, uh, sort of acoustic sort of renditions off the top of my head and make it sound great. Yeah. Right. People don't need that. Right. Mm hmm. But what people do, what a lot of people who are interested in music want is they want piano lessons. Okay. Okay. I would make more money teaching people piano lessons than I would playing a performance. Yeah. Teaching, just performing and getting to these lovely flow states myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the skill is piano lessons. Okay. What they need then is actually finding how to turn piano lessons into an experience where people can get into that flow state. Sure. So you don't sell the flow state, you sell piano lessons, the skill. Mm. Right? The same thing with NLP. Nobody wants NLP. There's not one single person in NLP, and I'll tell you why. NLP is literally the representation of a complete life's work of Richard Bandler. That's what it is, really. Okay. Richard Bandler and John Grender, if you want to take them together. Uh, Richard Bandler's focus was how I take a whole eclectic set of tools together in a therapeutic context to solve specific problems. Mm. That's where NLP came from. But a lot of the stuff that's in NLP, he did not invent, he did not create. Mm -hmm. right? Some of the things he did, he influenced, such as slider mouth patterns and uh, things like meta programs, advanced meta programs. Um, they're his creation, but a lot of the stuff that came from NLP, he was not the originator. He was the person who modeled something that was already there. Yeah. Um, so nobody wants NLP. Nobody wants NLP. They might need it. Mm. I needed it. Mm. I didn't know I wanted it. But what people do want is they want to understand how to get results. They want how to get more success in life. They want to know how to leave their job and create a successful business. They want to have better relationships. They want to have better health. Mm. Does that make sense? And if you give someone, and sometimes, like, better health, for example, is a classic one. People know what they need to do to have better health, mm. right? You move more, you eat better. That's yeah. it. Sure. Um, whereas what people don't have is the skill to be able to allow them to do that, which is having a plan that means they get up a certain time, they follow certain steps, and someone there who's going to make sure you're accountable to do that, 
like a personal trainer or, a, or someone who can help you become mm. yep. healthier. So what people want is a plan of action, a set of steps to follow yeah. so that they actually can get the skills installed as strategies. So it becomes strategic for them to get up in the morning, mm-hmm. have a cold shower, eat some good food, go for a walk before they do work, whatever they do. So they have a strategy yeah. for becoming healthier. Yeah. And then they actually get addicted to the process of feeling good and they want more of it, mm. right? Now, what, the, what they need is probably to um, overcome procrastination, have yeah. more confidence, change their perspective on certain foods. So when they see certain foods that are desirable, they become undesirable, like mm-hmm. cakes and sweets. Yeah. And foods that might not be that desirable, to change how you perceive them using different tools and techniques so they become more desirable, such as fresh food, fresh vegetables and stuff yeah. like that. So that's what they need, but it's not what they want. What they want is some sort of a plan. They want someone to help them become accountable. So when, when you sell skills to, to people who actually want those skills, you create a business, sure. right? And then you add in below the surface what they really need that allows them to make those skills work, mm. if that makes sense. That's powerful. So I, I think it's I think this is what's wrong with the personal development industry today. Mm. There's there's too many there's too much of the stuff out there that says if you do this you'll have the best life ever, mm. right? If you just do this it's easy. The reality is that life's not easy. Sure. Um, we all have challenges. I have challenges every day. Everybody, you've got challenges every day, don't you? Mm. Yeah. And when we have, when we understand how to overcome those challenges, it gets easier. Right. Mm. Now, for, for a lot of people, our experiences, we come across a challenge and the challenge is too big, so we stop. But if we can take something that's challenging and break it down into small components and only work on that first piece, yeah. then it's not a big, massive obstacle now. Now it's just a challenge to get over. Yeah. And I think there's too much fluffy stuff out in the personal development industry saying, oh, if you do this, you'll have all the success you want. No, because there's many skills that are required in developing any sort of a business. In fact, it's harder now today to develop a business than it's ever been because of, of a fundamental uh, concept that I, uh, that I, that I describe as uh, globally local. Mm. You're living in a world state where, let's say, when I set up, when I first became an NLP coach uh, back in 2002, when I first came across NLP, what I did is I got a business card, NLP practitioner, and, and I stuck these business cards, I got some flyers, I stuck them to health stores and in shops, and I went to community meetings, and I told people that I did NLP and says, what's that? And I told them what it was, and I said, would you like me to give you a demonstration and show them how to, you know, how to change how they felt about a certain food, and then they would sign me up as a client. Uh, I'd sign them up as a client and I'd work with them. Yeah. Um, nowadays, the world is uh, locally global in that Back in, back in those days, there's no competition for what I was doing. Sure. If I was an NLP practitioner or an NLP coach, there's nobody else in the town that could do that, mm. right? But now because of social media, if you're a hypnotist or a therapist or a coach or an entrepreneur, you're competing directly with sure. Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. right? With Esther Hicks, yeah. with uh, Bob Proctor, with all these big gurus who've got big budgets for spending on social media. Sure. So you're competing directly with them on a global level. So yeah. unless you're actually offering something that's distinctly unique and different, then why would anybody come to you? Mm. So we need to think differently 
about how we offer our services and products to people if we're working in the personal development space. We need to offer something that's genuinely valuable. Mm. It's what people want, not what they need. Right? Mm. And it actually gives them a blueprint or a process or steps to follow yeah. that's easy for them to, to, to complete at each yeah. step along the way. And I think if people started to do more of that, they would, they would get a lot more, uh, they would see a lot more traction in the industry. Because a lot of people, what that happens is they don't get results because there's no follow through. A lot of people are saying, I just want an online program to make passive income. Mm. I want to make money while I sleep. There's no such thing. Because we need human interaction. Sure. Right. You can, you can shorten the training cycle by giving people content online, but you need to check in with them. Yes. You need to get feedback from them. You need to help them. You need to help them stay accountable. Because we're human beings. We, we need people around us. Sure. Well, where's Michal going? What's coming down the line? And obviously, I don't want you to divulge your, your secrets, but I mean, do, do you think you're hitting your capabilities? Do you have plans Of course, of course not. Come on. <laughs> no. <clears throat> have you started yet? That's the question. Yeah. I, I think I've started. I think I've started. <laughs> if, if the average person is tapping into maybe 4 to 5% of the potential, I might be just hitting 6%. Right. Wow. Okay. I think I have a long way to go. Um, Which is massive because you're st- if you're standing at 4% and you're going to 6 that's a 50% increase. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. a big step up. It's relative. Yeah, but there's a long way to go. Sure, sure. Um, and, and I think one of the important things that we need to look to the future is how do we start to create a better future for everybody, mm. right? And I, there's, there's so many, th- it's easy to pick out things that are wrong in the world today. I mean, it's easy to say the education system doesn't work or the health system doesn't work mm. or the economy or the government. It's easy to pick holes mm. and see what the problems are. I think the, the, the question is, where are the opportunities? Sure. Right? Where are the opportunities where we can make a difference? And, and how do we start to work together to make those opportunities into rea- reality, into real things? Mm. Uh, and for me, that's about finding, finding people who actually want to hang out together to make those opportunities real. Sure. Um, and I think that's what you're doing as well. I think a lot of people who are working in the space they're looking to find their tribe. They're looking to find people who've got a similar mindset yeah. who want to move forward and not just complain. It's mm, very mm, easy to complain. Mm. But rather say, what's the opportunity? Sure. Right. And what's the opportunity not just in Northern Ireland, but globally? There's, there's so much opportunity everywhere today once you start tuning into it. Mm. And the question for me is, like, how do you find the people that can help you make that happen? Mm. The big lesson I learned when I set up my first NLP business was I tried to do everything myself. Mm. No man is an island. Was it Albert Einstein said that standing on the shoulders of giants you can see further. Mm. So we need to build on what's already there. Sure. And by leveraging each other's support and by working together, then we can make the world a much better place. Beautiful. That's, that's quite a legacy. Well, um, I'd say it's a legacy, but... Um, Listen, that's been incredibly insightful. I'm sure there will be more. <laughs> so I know you and I obviously can speak for a long, long periods of time. Um, tell us, how do, we, how do we reach you? How do we see you? You can find me on all the usual so- social media platforms. So um, website is transformpeople.com. Mm-hmm. Um, just hit me up there or Transform People Academy on Facebook. Transforming ACM, I think it's on Twitter and Instagram. Or just search for Michal Calhoun. That's M-I-C-H-E-A-L. I keep telling yeah, people yeah. that. E-A-L. Calhoun, C-O-L-H. You can find me on all the social media. You are the platforms. enigma. You are the odd one. <laughs> I'm <Perfect>. different. <laughs> <laughs> 
Michal, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you in the future as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.